Well, it is a delight to welcome you here this morning. It always is on this rainy day here in October. Uh, I love the month of October, and uh, God is so good. Um, He paints it in colors so vivid, so wonderful, and we just rejoice in that. And I'm so glad that um, you're here, though, to to take this in. This is actually a good place to be here on a rainy morning. So you've chosen a good Sunday to come to church. All of you online, we welcome you as well. We've got some props here for us today. Uh, This is per the last message I shared with you a couple of weeks ago. And uh, we're talking in a series that we're calling Clearing the Clutter. And I've just been thinking this week, uh, this is the discard and trash box. All right, we'll set that over there because there's some things we need to clear out and get rid of. And then there's some things that we need to keep and donate. And that's really uh, the two points that... Peter's trying to convey to us, if I were to oversimplify his material in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. And so uh, he's going to tell you some things he wants you to get rid of uh, to simplify your life, to clear the clutter, so that you can operate at a maximum level and fulfill the purpose that God's called you in this life. Okay, so uh, there's definitely that. And then there's some things we need to keep. There's some things that we need to implement in our life. And obviously there's some things that uh, Peter's audience and readers were thinking about. Maybe they were flagging in their, uh, in their priorities of what they were doing in, in this time of difficulty and, and uh, suffering. A lot of cultural hostility they were facing in 64 AD when Peter wrote this letter to a group of, of believers who were on the fringes of the culture of the time. And they were, they were really living a very difficult season of life. And so they had a lot of, talk about clutter, they had a lot of clutter in their life to process, okay? And so the first six verses of 1 Peter chapter 4 is uh, some stuff we need to get rid of, all right? And then verses 7 through 11 are verses about things we need to keep or implement in our lives. And I've been thinking and praying on this, and I think that maybe God is leading me to take this theme to a few other places in the Bible. And so you pray with me on this, that the Lord will just show me where, we, where I need to go next. And I'm kind of sensing a, a couple of different directions. But, uh, so I'm going to take the clear the clutter theme, move it out of 1 Peter after today into a couple other selected places in the Bible. All right? Because I think there's some things God wants to say to us here. Uh, how many of you, uh, when you were growing up, how many of you remember that place in the house called a junk drawer? Anybody have a junk drawer in your home? All right. Some of you, Samana Soul, some of you got the hand way up. You maybe have four or five junk drawers. Shoot, why stop there? Let's just move to the garage, right? So the whole garage was a junk garage. So, yeah, I remember uh, the idea of a, of a uh, junk drawer that we had in our home. Uh, for whatever reason, it was located in a drawer in our kitchen. Uh, and I was just trying to recall all the different things that I saw in the junk drawer growing up. I saw safety pins, um, fuses for fuse boxes. I saw screwdrivers, tape, sandpaper, tape measure, pins, a mousetrap. All right. I saw rat poisoning. And that's not because we had rats in the home. It's just we lived next to a river, the Big Coal River. And so the rats like to kind of congregate along the river. And sometimes they'd come up and try to make themselves at home in a shed or whatever. 
so I was just like, man, the, the, we had rat poisoning in a drawer in the kitchen. I mean, go figure. That's just how we did it, I guess. I'm glad it didn't trickle into the oatmeal. That would have been really bad. But uh, short extension cord, super glue, uh, bread bag ties. Oh, my goodness, a ton of those. Marbles, knives, just a lot of stuff that really thinking about it in retrospect made our junk drawer a pretty dangerous drawer if you stop to think about it. Uh, yeah, so we, we all need places, I think, where we kind of just let clutter build and uh, kind of move it out of the way. And per last time I talked to you, the message, I talked to you about how clutter really is a postponement of a decision. I don't want to deal with this right now. Where can I put it until I have to think about where it, really, it actually should go, right? And I've, I've got this issue. I don't like clutter, but I create it. And even worse, I don't like life clutter, but I can create that as well as physical clutter as well. Uh, you know, how many of you guys remember Bob Butchin? Anybody remember Bob Butchin? He wrote for Advanced Leader. He, he's moved out of the area and he's since retired. Uh, I went into his office one time, and I kid you not, when I looked at his desk, and I say this now, I can say it for he's retired, he's moved on, I couldn't see Bob's desk. There were papers and articles everywhere. In fact, I thought I had a messy desk, all right? I couldn't see Bob's desk anywhere. It's just that it was a mound of paper and articles and newspaper clippings and so on. And I've wondered about that, wonder why, how he operated like that, and even how I operate like that sometimes. And I, I was doing a little research on this, and, and here's what I understand, and I, I think it's true, that... When you have everything out on the table or a desk like that and you can't put it away, it's because you're afraid if you file it, you'll forget about it. And so you, you just instinctively, I'm going to leave it where I can see it so I'll know and remember that it'll jog my memory to go get it done. All right? And so people come in and help people clean their clutter all the time, and a week later it's all cluttered up again because they're thinking, I'm going to forget about this. All right? And so there's not all bad we just had to have better ways of dealing um, with our clutter. Because sometimes our minds and our lives are like Joey Nelson's kitchen drawer in West Virginia back in the 70s. Our minds, our lives are like Bob Butchkin's desk with everything scattered, basically burying the desk with all these different things that you have to do and things you don't want to forget about. Okay. And so our lives like that, our minds can get cluttered, and we're, we're not able to think effectively like we should. We get overwhelmed. In fact, the word that keeps popping up when you, when you uh, kind of do a little bit of legwork on the cluttering theme, the word that comes up more often than not is overwhelmed. People feel overwhelmed. And that's easy to do. And when my mind is cluttered, I forget things. Um, I tend to become irritable and demanding. I struggle to focus on the larger, more important task in life. And I'm sure I'm speaking to several of you who could relate. In fact, I got clutter chatter that's going on in the back of my mind. And you try to preach a sermon sometimes when you got clutter chatter back here. It's going to be a difficult thing to do. Um, I can't have a lot of clutter chatter because it distracts me. But clutter chatter can be external-based right? Uh, there can be disorganization around you. You can have a messy desk or piled up closet or a junk drawer that's taking up space. You can have uh, these external things. You can have internal things like worry clutters up your mind and your spirit, distraction, strained relationship, 
it weighs on our mind and we have clutter chatter. And I have a lot of clutter chatter this weekend. I know what's going on in Israel. Uh, just have to get away from my timeline on Twitter and Facebook and uh, uh, Instagram. It's just the timeline is filled with savagery, videos of savagery in this, in this uh, incredible invasion by Hamas that's destroying so many people. Uh, costing them hostage situations, and that has really got me cluttered this weekend. Uh, I've had a tendon injury. I haven't ran for several months. You know I'm a runner. I run marathons and all this, and this is a big part of my daily routine, and they think some fibers on my tendon have rolled, peeled back, and now they've knotted up in a part of my leg, and so I've basically been on a bike. Well, that's creating some clutter chatter, okay, in my head, in my mind. I'm out of my routines, all right? And so uh, maybe there's a few hurts in life that will surface and recycle from time to time. I've got a book queue. I'm always reading. Uh, C.A. Spurgeon said, if you're not reading, get out of the ministry. Boy, I took that to heart because if I'm going to have something to say with relevancy each week, I have to read. And so I've got this book queue, and it's out of control. And it's like if I keep going, I'm going to be Bob Butchin's desk by my bed with books. All right, and so I've got that going, and there's aging and related things, and so I'm just telling you that I'm one of you. I'm not above you. I'm just right there with you, doing life with you, and you have clutter, and I have clutter, and and we want to deal with this clutter in our lives, our minds, and our spirits, and our physical surroundings so that we can operate at a level that lets the Lord use us, because when we're cluttered up like this, we're not as readily available for God to speak to us and for God to use us in our families, in our communities, and where we serve. And this is one of Peter's concerns when he writes this very powerful, uh, true-to-life passage in 1 Peter 4, 1 through 11. Uh, and it's interesting. In fact, just let me read the last uh, verses 7 through 11, and I'll come back and we'll backfill verses 1 through 6. So I'm not sure what slide number that is, but if you just pull up verse 7 for me, Peter says the end of all things is near. Now, I'll tell you what, uh, what we have to keep in mind there is that the end of all things is near. Uh, It's near, the word he uses there is telos, okay? It's not near uh, as in it's the end of things. It's near as in it's the completion of things, okay? So don't be be misled by his his verbiage here, okay? The end of all things is near. In other words, it's telos, it's completed. Everything's completed, all that needs to happen on the God's eschatological time clock and calendar has happened. It's been fulfilled. Jesus has come. He's died. He's ascended. He's ruling at the Father's right hand. All that's been needed to happen, that needed to happen has happened. And that can, at any point on God's calendar, he can say enough is enough and Jesus can come back. All right? That's what Peter's saying. And he's living in light of that reality. Right? He's living in light of that. Now, when you live in light of that, you tend to clear the clutter in a hurry. Because, hey, I want to lighten things up for my journey home, right? You want to lighten things up. You don't want to travel heavy. You want to go minimalistic as much as possible. Lighten the load. Don't run your marathon in boots, okay? That's a mistake. You want to lighten things. You want to off. You want to get. There's some things you want to get rid of in your life. There's some things you want to keep because you're on a journey home. Now, don't ever forget that. All right. Just let that dominate the way you think about life. Lighten the load so I can travel easier and be all that God wants me to be between here and then. 
All right? Now look what he says. He says, and really I'm taking the whole uh, idea of, of clearing the clutter from this key phrase in verse 7. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind. Clear mind. A clutter-free mind. That's what Peter's after. I want you to be clutter-free in the way you think about things. And when you go clutter-free, it's a tongue twister, all right? When you go clutter-free in your mind, one of the things that you have to do is you've got to separate between yourself and all the clutter in your life. Peter says you've got to get solitude in your life. You've got to get some separation from the clutter, get things vertically right with God, hear from God in all the clutter. Because honestly, life throws out clutter. We can't help it. It comes our way. And so we can, we can do a lot of things intentionally to reduce clutter in our life, but there's life clutter that comes screaming at us out of nowhere, all right? Those people celebrating in southern Israel had no idea that Hamas would paraglide in and land with, with their AK-47s or whatever they had, their weapons of choice, and begin to slaughter people. They had no idea. You can't help that sometimes. Life has a way of showing up like that and creating all this clutter. Peter says, in light of that, to be our very best, there's some things we got to get rid of. Talked about that last time I talked to you. There's some things we got to start doing and implementing in our life. Solitude is one of them. Vertical with God. You got to hear from headquarters, right? That's what we have to do. We got to hear from God on things. We got to have an ear where He can reduce the clutter, turn down the volume of everything on the timeline, every, all the problems in your life. You got to turn the volume down, turn up from God, the voice of God, turn it up so you can hear from Him. And that's so critical that, that Peter says, well, let's start right there. Then he says, above all, love each other deeply. Love, you think that's going to reduce a lot of clutter in your life? It is. To love each other deeply. Now, I'm curious, how many of you have attended Stonesville Community Church since I came here 18 years ago. Just put your hand up. Okay, a lot of hands. Okay, hands down. Okay, here's what I want to say to you this morning. Okay, love covers a multitude of sins. You get an award for 18 years. You have listened to me. You have watched me do some good things. You've watched me do some boneheaded things. You've heard me say some really good things. I, I know because you've told me. Other times, you're like scratching your head wondering what, what was he trying to say today? I have no idea. I, I don't know either, okay? Maybe I didn't even know, all right? So it may have been one of those weekends. Listen, you, for 18 years, you've heard me and watched me do that and, and these things. Listen, but your love has covered a multitude of sins. So you get the award today, okay? And not just you, but some of you have kind of joined in and you're with us and praise God and and you're uh, pulling with us, and, and it may be for five years, a year, a couple years, 10 years, 12 years, 15, I mean, all over the place. But you have chosen to live your life. When you hung around, when you've hang, you know, you hung around me this long, this many years, that tells me something about you, that your love has covered a multitude of sins. What, what am I talking about? What's Peter talking about? Listen, he's talking about letting stuff go. That's, that's why he words it the way he does. Love covers a multitude of sins. All right? That's not, he's not saying that love ignores sin and the clutter it causes. 
He's not saying that love never confronts and has the hard conversation, right? He's not saying that. He's not saying that we have to just push discipline to the side, let love rule the day, and we just let everything, just let everything roll. No, no, no. That's not what Peter's saying here in clearing the clutter. He's saying that when it comes to the debt of sin and the debt of clutter and the things that we do to create problems for other people and ourselves, that creates a debt, right? There's, there's brokenness, there's, there's hurt, there's heartache, uh, uh, there's a uh, misappropriation of all the resources God has given us. Uh, so, so we create a debt it, with other people. Peter says, I want you to cover the debt. What? What are you saying, Pete? I want you to cover the hurt in your relationship with people. Absorb the hurt. I want you, in order, I want you to keep something in your life. A lot of things you got to discard. There's a lot of things you got to keep. And one of the things he wants you to keep, maybe they were flagging. Like I said, life was hard. He says, I want you to cover a multitude of sins. I want, in love, absorb the hurt. And keep loving. And he says, I want you to make it above all number one priority. Don't ever stop loving. And I just want to congratulate you today because you've done that with me for 18 plus years. Your love has covered a multitude of sins. And here we are still growing together in Jesus. People come and go, come and go all the time. And I hate to see people go. It's always so sad. But... You stayed with this, and you're growing in Jesus together, and you've chosen to live this value out, and, I, and I'm very humbled by it, and I hope I can always return that same approach to life with you, okay? Because after you pastor a church for this long, you probably have, you know everybody so well, you got I mean, you can disqualify everybody if you want to for everything, right? I mean, you've just been here long enough, but no, no, love covers a multitude of sins. And that's a beautiful thing, letting stuff go. Do you know some of the major clutter in my mind and my spirit is because Joey Nelson will not let something go? I'll ride that and ride that and ride that. And I won't give it up. Anybody else with me? Anybody else get on a hobby horse and you just start riding something and you just, you just can't get it through and you can't get it communicated and I'll try it this way and well, let me try it this way, and I'll try to say it this way. And, boy, we just create this spiritual clutter, and, and it's hard. I, I, I have to really think about letting consciously, intentionally letting things go and letting love cover a multitude of sins because if I don't, I can't preach. It's hard for me to teach because i got clutter chatter, a good, heavy case of the clutter chatter. Now, this morning I want to ask you, if cluttering is a postponement of a decision— and it is at its root. There's probably a decision you're postponing that you need to make, and probably it has to do with letting something go. I think I'm safe to say it that way this morning. What do you need to let go? What does love need to cover in your life? Uh, what not needs to get untied so you can move forward? And be the, the, the person God's calling you to be. You have a knot this morning. 
And the Lord will guide you to that. He'll show you what it is that you need to let go. Again, love is not not having the hard conversations. It's not uh, uh, throwing discipline out the window. It's not, it's not dealing with the heartache of a situation. It's not any of that at all. It's this, uh, this, this thing that Peter is saying, I want you to let things go and you cover a multitude of sins and make that number one a priority, verse 8, above all. And he uses an athletic term, a, a runner running in a race, he says, love each other deeply, strenuously, moving toward that finish line. It's an athletic term. To, to, to love each other deeply and aggressively that way. Because love covers multitude of sins. That's what you want to keep that. Okay? Now, he says also, he's something else he wants you to keep in your life. He wants you to offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Okay? How many of you, when you have someone over your house, you go into this frantic Clean-up mode. Anybody like that? Yep, 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 yep. We all do, okay? And uh, we kind of pick up the clutter. And, of course, I'm, I'm bad about cluttering our table. And so I usually have to some things to clear off the table because that's where I default drop everything, okay? And so uh, we do that, and then Donna usually handles the food part of it, and, and then uh, we have a couple dogs, so we got to run vacuum sweeper, and that's just this. Lots of things. Lots of, it's a big deal, right? It's a big deal. I'm not so sure that that's what the kind of hospitality that Peter has in mind. Here's what I think is happening. He says, offer hospitality, be a lover of strangers, okay, such that you love them with a family love so that they can become family too, right? And it's a hospitality to one another without grumbling. Here's the deal. If you're living in a culture that's hostile toward Christianity, hostile toward Jesus, hostile toward those who follow Jesus, if you're living in a culture like that and you, you show kindness to someone like that and, and you stand to lose your job or you stand to get marginalized because you're associating with someone like this, then it's going to create a little bit of grumbling, right? Because you don't want to put up with that headache. And so Peter's saying, listen, you guys are living in a very hostile culture and age. And it's not always popular to associate with people who name the name of Jesus. He says, I want you to associate anyway. Not just associate, but I want you, through the generosity of your life, I want you to be a ministry to people. I have this idea of ministry to other people. To offer hospitality. He wants you to keep that in your life. Keep that as a priority. Something else he says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So another thing I want you to keep in your life is, yes, declutter your life in such a way that your gift can be a ministry to other people, that you're freed up to serve other people. And just as he says it, to use whatever gift you have received to serve others. And you all have received one. All of you have a gift. And don't be too big to do little things. That's very important. And these gifts kind of divide uh, a couple of ways. He says, uh, use whatever gift that you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Uh, so there's some speaking gifts. There's some serving gifts. Uh, there's word gifts and deed gifts. And Paul's, uh, Peter's saying, hey, I want you to employ, make sure in this 
in this weird uh, day and culture in which you're in, embedded, he says, I want you to make sure that you're connected with God. I want you to make sure, above all, that you're loving people and you're letting stuff go. That'll clear clutter and be a blessing. He says, I want you to make sure that you serve, that you employ your giftedness in some way to serve others because that's going to help some clear out some life clutter in you as well and keep you sober-minded and alert. And then he says uh, on the next slide, verse 11, uh, well, he says, if anyone speaks, they should do as one who speaks the very words of God. So make sure you're speaking truth. That clears the clutter of a culture that doesn't know the truth. And if anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. And then he ends this, doxo- this section with a doxology. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Listen, I love Peter's simple actions for simplifying your life and for engaging life in, a, in such a way that you're clutter-free. And this is what he says. Basically, if I could just kind of take it from the top, all right? When you create your daily routine every day, make connecting with God a part of it in some way. Whether that's morning, whether that's evening, make, have a time every day. Go back to verse 7 if you would for me, all right? Have a time every day where you can turn down the volume of the timelines of your life, all the timelines that clutter up your thinking and your spirit. Turn down the timelines and turn up the volume so you can hear from God. When life gets cluttered, you might miss the valuable things that you have because you don't know you have them. It's lost in the clutter. Okay, you got a junk drawer in your life and all the things that you got to deal with, you don't know what to do with, you throw them in the junk drawer, junk drawer, junk drawer, and eventually you get in a situation where you need something, you know you got it, but you can't find it because life is cluttered. What Peter is saying, there has to be a time in your life and my life we have set aside so we can get vertical with God and we can start hearing from God. God, what do I need to do in this situation? What are you saying about this situation? God, remind me of what resources I already have. I forgot about I even have them, Right? So you can, you can lose stuff in the clutter. And Peter says, I want you to uh, build some solitude in your life where you're able, a cluttered life will push God out. And Peter says, I want you to have enough structure in your life where you can hear from God. Secondly, very practically, I've already dealt with this, and that is let the, let the depleting and exhausting stuff go in your life. This is resentment. This is bitterness, this is hate, this is jealousy, all right? All those things, so far as I know, have never improved the quality of life for one single human being of any age. Never has. And if you've got that rolling around in your spirit, the resentment, the bitterness, the hate, the jealousy, Peter says above all, verse 8, let love each other deeply because what does love do? It love covers over a multitude of sins. Life is just too short to waste time hating anyone. And so he says, hey, I want this to be one of the trademarks of your life. A very simple thing he wants you to do to keep in your life, open your heart and organize your life to be a ministry to other people. 
even if that doesn't always bode well for you in the public eye, okay, be a ministry. Uh, Open up your life warmly in such a way that it can be a ministry to others. And then he says in verse 10, to, to be faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. And so I think that God's gifts come to us as jobs. It comes to us as unique abilities. It comes to us as finances, all right? Live within our means and meet needs in ways that God has gifted you. You want to clutter your life, be a financial mess where you don't know how you're going to pay the bills. And, and don't manage this gift that God has given very well in your life, and it will clutter your mind. It will drive you crazy because you're not sure how you're going to survive week to week or month to month. All right? Peter says, I want you to live a clutter-free life. Start with solitude with God. Let's move on then to letting stuff go. Let's move on then to, to, to opening up our life a little bit for others, to let others in and to include others maybe in our life. Do it regardless of the cost. And then let's use the giftedness God has entrusted to us. Let's be good stewards, faithful stewards, verse 10. Let's be faithful stewards of these resources that he's given so we don't have to clutter up life with all the financial worries that so oftentimes we have to deal with. Doesn't he make sense? He's making perfect sense to me. And I really, really appreciate his word. So solitude, you want to keep that in your life? Surrender, let stuff go. Stewardship, service. These are all so very, very important. Now, when we, we set up the contrast last week, or the last time I talked to you a couple weeks ago, uh, if we go back to verse 1, uh, slide number 2, you're going to see that if we just remind ourselves of what Paul, uh, Peter's already mentioned, what you're going to find is he sets up a contrast in this passage. Okay? He's going to show you people who live a cluttered life and won't get rid of some stuff they need to get rid of. And he's, going to sh- he's just shown you a person who is doing some things and maybe they're flagging in those commitments and now he's going to reiterate that they need to keep doing them in their life, stuff they need to keep so that they can de- declutter their life and live a decluttered life. Well, let's remind ourselves a little bit of, what, what he's, uh, of this contrast and what he's, when it comes to the, the discard of the trash box, what's he hoping will happen in their life? Well, if we review it, he says in verse 1, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. And so it's uh, interesting because he says to arm yourself with an attitude that says, There are no easy roads through life. I will declutter and streamline for one primary mission in life, and that's Jesus. That's what I'm going to do and who I'm going to live for. And if my decluttering, if in that decluttering process I have to learn to live with less or things, not doing things I'm used to doing, if I have to do that so, there, so that, that he can have more of me, then I'll do it because I've wasted enough of my resources and time in life on things I thought mattered and they really didn't. In fact, they just cluttered up my life. Okay? And so when we see what sin did to clutter up the life of Jesus, Peter says it sobers us up, and suffering sobers us up to such an extent that, you know what, we just get so sick of it, and we realize there's a better way to live, a a higher cause to live for, and Jesus is that. And so 
He says in verse 2, as a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. All right, that's your contrast. And so by the, end, the time we get to the end of this, you have those committed to evil human desires and those committed to the will of God. All right, for you have, verse 3, you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. This is some cluttering, creating behavior right here coming up in slide number three, verse three. Living in debauchery. Uh, word study on that. Wild living. It's translated wild living in Luke 15, verse 13, um, which is what the prodigal did when he left home. We just saw that a few weeks ago. There's debauchery or wild living. You're living life without a concern for the consequences of, of what one is doing. There's lust. There's drunkenness, there's orgies, there's carousing, there's detestable idolatry. And they are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living. And they heap abuse on you. You know, um, I always enjoy it when people listen and sometimes they'll give me feedback and let me know. And after that message, uh, a couple weeks ago, you remember I said in that message to stay weird? How that you do things in life and the world doesn't understand it, and the culture doesn't understand it, and sometimes it comes off as weird, and I said to stay weird. Well, I got a, a, an email from someone very encouraging this, this past week, and in the subject line of the email, it said, weirdo. And they loved it, and I loved it. That's right. Don't stay weird. You are a weirdo in terms of the culture, in terms, in terms of your values. Stay weird. You know, people think you're weird if you never use uh, graphic, uh, inappropriate language. They think that's really weird. Peter's saying, I want you guys to stay weird. This is not the way, this is the way you used to live, but I want you to stay weird in the language you use. I want you to stay weird in the lifestyle that you live and when you, the way you view the gift of sexuality and how you treat that gift from God, stay weird when it comes to Jesus coming back in a second coming. The world thinks that's crazy. Stay weird when it, when it comes to the grave splitting open someday and people rising up to meet the Lord in the air. Stay weird. People think you're weird if you say, well, yeah, I think maybe the earth was created in the last 6,000, 10,000 years. No, it's got, it can't be that. Stay weird. There's a lots of reasons why you can view it that way. And we've kind of dealt with them here in some of our biblical worldview weekends. A global flood. They think that's weird. A reliable Bible. Communion. The flesh and blood of Jesus, as it were. The culture thinks it's so weird. And I just want to reiterate this morning, especially young people, don't be afraid to be weird. In fact, I would even say up the ante just a little bit. If people never think you're weird you might want to rethink what it means to courageously live out a biblical worldview in your life every day. Because if you're living that out in a way that Peter prescribes, you're going to, have, you're going to really appreciate those people and those places that offer hospitality without grumbling because they see your life and they know the culture views you and I as weirdos and it takes a lot of courage to live this out. And that's what Peter's driving at. If we're going to face this kind of a cultural uh, onslaught, 
that we're, there's some things we got to get rid of. There's some things we got to keep doing. He's trying to underscore and create a contrast between those two things. And it's so important that we understand our calling in the world and that it's okay to stay weird. Remember who you are and who called you. Someday they're going to give an account, verse 5, to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And for this, this, this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. Humans can do what they're going to do. And they can execute and they can be mean and they can, they can just try to obliterate the weirdos of life. But Peter says we live according to God in regard to the spirit. That when we shut our eyes in death on this side, we open them up somewhere else. That's the teaching and conviction of the Bible. And that's the worldview that Peter's operating from. And so there you have it. You have a life lived for the flesh on one hand. People hanging on to stuff they won't get rid of. And then you have those living for the will of God. And we see it here in verse 3. For those living for the will of God. So you have the lust of the flesh... All these list of five or six things, what the pagans choose to do, evil human desires, verse 2, contrasted with the will of God. And so when we look at that and we see that, that Peter is setting up a contrast between an uncluttered and a cluttered life. Here's what we got. They give themselves to drunkenness, verse 3, instead of sober-mindedness, verse 7. They give themselves to lawless activity in verse 3 rather than to sincere love, verse 8. You see this? They give themselves to orgies, verse 3, doing anything and everything in a hookup culture. They give themselves to this, verse 3, versus showing loving hospitality, verse 9. See the contrast? They give themselves to maligning other people, verse 4, rather than serving one another in verses 10 and 11. Peter wants to give you and me the cure for a cluttered life. He's showing you how to live a decluttered life so you can maximize your life for the will of God. Jana Reese in slide number 8, if you would. Now, some of you know that um, I typically try to incorporate a story, some practical story or application of everything I try to say in a morning message or whenever I speak, I try to give you a story. There's a couple reasons for this. Um, one is if you want someone to know the truth, you tell them the truth. Just tell them they need to know the truth and you want them to know that, tell them the truth. If you want people to love the truth, tell them a story. Okay? Tell them a story. And if you want people to obey the truth, open up your life a little bit. Let them see you as you struggle to declutter and to let some things go in your life and then start doing some things that you maybe you haven't do, been doing or that you're flagging in. Okay? So I want to tell you the truth. I, wanna, I want you to love the truth. And I think Jenna... Reese here does just an incredible, or Jana Reese does an incredible job in this book she wrote, Flunking Sainthood. Because she kind of dips into the waters of the saints of yesteryear and she talks about spiritual disciplines. 
And uh, she writes about how for one year, she endeavored to keep all of the basic spiritual disciplines that people have been leaning into for the past umpteen um, centuries of time, millennia of time, uh, things like um, keeping the Sabbath or prayer and Bible reading or loving people or, or uh, fasting or uh, simplifying life. And so she, she leaned into these spiritual disciplines for like a whole year trying to clear the clutter out of her life, trying to figure out how she can streamline for the glory of God and make her life count for, uh, for his honor, right? And she says, I tried all these disciplines, and I flunked them, every one. Like, I never kept any of them perfectly for the whole year. Um, she, she tried fasting one month, and while she fasted some, it, it, she didn't at, in other days or weeks. Um, she tried eating clean another month. She observed the Sabbath um, one month. She, she decided not to buy stuff and simplify her life another month. Um, she, she decided to take household tasks as acts of worship one month so that everything she did, whether it was dishes or running the sweeper or whatever, it was going to be an act of worship to God, just like singing a song at church or listening to a sermon. It was going to be offered as acts of worship to God. Bible reading and prayer another month. She says, I failed on every one of them. That's why she calls it flunking sainthood. Reese recalls in one chapter, and she calls this nixing shoppertainment. You got any shoppertainers? Okay, she, she, she decided that I would only buy, she says, groceries and pay bills for the month of May. That's all she was going to do. She wasn't, wasn't going to spend money. Because what happens when we spend money, we buy things. We buy things we may or may not need, right? And then, then what happens? We clutter. We clutter our life. There's garages. In fact, if you go on a bike ride in our area, which I've been doing because I can't run, I don't know how many storage uh, units you're going to find between here and Wallace Lake, all right? You're going you're gonna to see four or five of them. If you ride from my house to Wallace around the lake and back, it's a beautiful, drive, a beautiful ride, all right? It's about 25, 26 miles, all right? And you really appreciate that westerly wind blowing you home, all right, that I had a few days ago. Uh, but you're going to see a lot of storage containers. How come? Because we live in a culture, that rather than thinking simplistically, we think of things, we think of all these reasons why we need things. And it begins to clutter up our life. It's not just spiritual, it's also physical. In fact, let me just interrupt the story here. Let's go to slide seven really quickly, because there may be some stuff God will put his finger on. And by the way, I've, I've, I've started living, trying to live a clutter-free life. Um, Christmas time, you know, I get presents for family. I end up getting subscribed to all these emails because I purchased something from some uh, strange company that had whatever gift the person wanted in my family. I had so many of those emails coming in, I just took some time this week. I got to unsubscribe. I was getting 100 emails a day. Anybody else get 100 emails a day? Yeah. They're crazy. I got to clear this digital clutter. So I started de uh, just unsubscribing to some of these things. So that started in my life. And I'm trying to simplify that way. But Gretchen Rubin said the clutter, her, her clutter came in distinct, several distinct varieties. Uh, and she said, I've got nostalgic clutter. It's made up of things I, I 
that I cling to from my earlier life. It's just stuff left over that for some reason it's nostalgic, it's meaningful and sentimental. Aunt Beatrice gave me this and I cannot let it go. But I have, I mean, who needs 75 snow globes? I've got to make a decision. I don't care if Aunt Beatrice gave me these and many of these, I've got to make a decision. She said, uh, Gretchen Rubin said, that's some of my clutter in my life. Conservation clutter, she says, makes up, it's made up of things that are definitely useful, but they're not useful to me. Bargain clutter, you're buying unnecessary things because they're on sale. Freebie clutter, your hand-me-downs and giveaways that you don't use. Crutch clutter, stuff she used, but she knew she shouldn't. Go back to verse 3 for me. Stuff she uses, but she knew she shouldn't. It was cluttering up her life. What about you? Is porn cluttering up your mind and spirit, ruining your relationships? Lust? Okay? It's crutch clutter. It's what I do to get past a difficult place because I've always coped that way. You see that? You got drunkenness here. You've got hooking up culture here. You got carousing, lawlessness. You got debauchery. You got idolatry. You got these little things, they're little relics in your life from your past, maybe, or something someone's given you. You've got these little relics, these little mini idols, and they're so important to you, and you just can't bear to put them in this box. I'm going to hold to this. It's, it's, yes, it's 75 snow globes, and yes, it's taking up a whole half a room in my home, but I, I just can't let go of it. What snow globes do you have in your life? It's, Gretchen Rubin calls it crutch clutter. These are crutches that clutter your life and your mind and your spirit. Okay? She says, I got crutch clutter stuff. I, sh- I use it. I use the alcohol to cope, I use the porn to cope, I use the, uh, the, the, the thrill of extramarital stuff, or I use the thrill of the next purchase, right? The next, the next big uh, expense item in life, I, I, something I think I need. That's how she rolls, and that's how, and that uh, happens in a lot of our lives. She says, I got outgrown clutter, too, stuff I, don't, I no longer need, but I keep for whatever reason. Well, we go back to slide eight, okay? Reese calls one chapter, Nixing Shoppertainment. And uh, she said, I had a friend named Margaret, and Margaret was always buying things. Whenever they got together, she said, the conversation often turned to some new purchases in, in her life. Often they were extravagant ones like furniture, rugs, paintings. But she said, I noticed something. Margaret, one of my best friends at the time, her joy in each new purchase was often short-lived. And she'd end up finding something wrong with it after she got it. And Jana said Margaret's soul just seemed so discontented with her life, always peering beyond her present situation to the next purchase. That's how she, that's how she lived. And she was surrounded by beauty, but she seemed incapable of appreciating it for very long. She wanted, thought she needed more, always needing more. Jana, who writes and tells uh, Margaret's story, 
she said, and she honestly owns it, she said, I see a good deal of Margaret's restlessness in myself. Richard Foster, one of the great champions of the spiritual disciplines, he says, and he helps her here when he said that real simplicity begins when we stop looking to the outside world to validate our existence. I think that's that's some good stuff. Let me read it to you again. Richard Foster, spiritual life guru, okay, master of the disciplines, dare to discipline other books. Okay, real simplicity begins when we stop looking to the outside world to validate our existence. I can't get rid of this because it's my identity. It's who I am, and if I don't have this, I have nothing. I'll just jump off a bridge. And Christianity is about coming to that place in your life where you recognize that and you identify that. And you bring that before the feet of Jesus and stay faster and you stay longer because you realize it's only him that you can have an identity and purpose and meaning in life. That all these other crutches and things will, will leave you in a shattered, tattered, cluttered mess of a life. And if you're here this morning and and you just hung on to some crutch clutter in your life, I don't know what the crutches are. Number one, we love you, and we're going to treat you the same regardless. All right, that's our hope, and that's our goal. But if you've got crutch clutter in your life, I think what God might be saying through the fellowship of the Word this morning, He may be bringing to you a proposal, yea, even more than a proposal. It's an invitation for you to step into the life of God and say, Lord, I want you to take my crutch clutter, and I want you to give me, give me you instead. I want to learn to love you instead of my crutch. He may be saying that to you this morning. Well, she says on page 61 in her book, the less comfortable we are with ourselves, the more we will look to things around us for comfort. She says, I tried and I tried and I ended, ended up, it was a great experiment doing all these things, these monthly things that I did for a year but she says, at the end of the day, I felt like I flunked sainthood. I have a feeling I talked, talking to some people this morning, maybe you feel the same way. September was hospitality month for Jana. She says she was going to be intentional about showing hospitality in small ways in the month of September. So she started being more hospitable on Facebook, right? And uh, she was kinder. And how she dealt with her friendships on Facebook and her, her timeline was a little more inviting, a little more affirming, maybe than it was in the past. And so she began to show hospitality, a welcoming of the stranger even in that setting a little bit. She said she, said she actually volunteered to watch a pet for a friend. And before the dog came to live with them for a week, um, he got into her friend's son's medication and diarrhea all over their house. Um, right after that, she said this month of hospitality, of serving God, just like Peter invites us to do, all right, serving God in this way, generously opening up your life. She had friends that came and family that came and stayed with her shortly after the dog went home. One of the friends smoked profusely, and she hated smelling smoke. She kindly put an ashtray on the patio table to accommodate him. And that was a, a way to kind of show hospitality. And she basically goes on to say that sometimes hospitality can be messy. 
But Peter says, do it without grumbling because it's right that God shows up in those moments. And she says she remembered, even though everybody wanted to do something different most of the time, she says she remembered how that it wasn't until a post-resurrected Jesus sat down for a shared meal with his followers that it was only then that they truly saw who he was. And sometimes there's something to that. Well, six weeks after she completed her book, Jana Reese was called to Mobile, Alabama. She had a dad that she hadn't heard from for 26 years, and he was dying, and they wondered if she'd come and say, if, he would, if she would come to his bedside and say goodbye. And when he left, 26 years prior to this time, this phone call, he left the family. And uh, he took retirement savings with him, he took the kids' college accounts with him. And, uh, and now he wants a goodbye at the end of his life. She said, I wanted to skip it. On my way to the airport, I was ready just to turn around and forget it and go back home and just totally just forget about the whole thing. But she said, somehow I couldn't. That somehow... Something was telling her that love covers a multitude of sins. That even though there's some conversations that always needed to happen with dad. That there was something in her that wanted to go ahead and absorb this debt. Such that she could, her mind could be clutter, more clutter free. And she could fr- more freely live life and walk through life lighter than before. And so she stuck with it. She went and she found her father was 117 pounds on a breathing, with a breathing tube. And uh, she thought about all those spiritual practices that she tried for a year and she failed at. Pretty much was a wash. But she said, realizing there by his bedside, I realized that maybe in some strange way, God used that whole year of preparation to get me to this place by my dad's bedside. So that I could actually release him and forgive him. Well, he died, and she got to have that conversation, she and her siblings, and, but he died, and they were going through all the clutter in his, in his home. And she says they picked carefully through his things, and they began to piece together the lost years of his life. And she said it was such a sorry picture. He squandered his health smoking all those years, despite all the vitamin bottles he, he left behind. He wasted his money on gambling and porn. They found receipts. And he had tried all the get-rich-quick schemes per the receipts. And he died broke. He had no close friends. And they had two, two pictures that they found after he left in 1984-86. I think it was 84, 26 years. After that, they had two pictures that they on record. One picture, I don't know what it was. The next picture, the one picture she found that she mentions in her book. He had won a game of poker. And someone snapped a picture. And that was a life highlight. She said, I've forgiven my dad. But I don't want my life to be like his. 
I don't want my life to be surrounded by all this clutter. That really is a testimony of a misspent life. I don't know what your clutter says about you. I don't know what it says about me. But I don't want to live my life when people are going through my final things. And they piece together what was important to me. I sure hope they find something in there that says something about love covered a multitude of sins. I hope they find something in the receipts and the files and the records somewhere that said, this guy took solitude with God. He turned God up in prayer. I hope digging through my final belongings they find somewhere where he had a warm heart for others and would often do his best to help strangers feel like family. I hope there's something there that indicates that. So oftentimes there's clutter that keeps that from happening. And it's a disappointment to me, and I'm sure it is to you. And I hope there's something in there somewhere that says he used his giftedness, the ability to teach and preach and share with word gifts that God gave him. I hope he, I hope he lifted up Jesus somehow. All those words he, he used every Sunday. I hope, verse 11 for me if you would. I hope that somewhere in the artifacts of my life, the things that are discovered and left behind in the wake of my passing, I hope that something about all of that praised the Lord Jesus Christ and to him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Yeah, he had some clutter, but he got rid of it and he started doing some things differently. He, he got mid-course corrected and now he lives a life and the life he lived and that he let, lived and that he led was so beautiful, it, it pointed to the master. All because of Jesus and all because of these words that echo forth from down through the years from a guy named Peter who fell asleep one time when it was time to pray. A guy named Peter who was basically spoke first and thought second. A guy named Peter who was confronted by Paul himself face to face because Peter was showing partiality. If there's hope for Peter, there's hope for Joey, and there's hope for you. What's your clutter saying about you this morning? What's God wanting you to do with the clutter in your life? So here's our challenge as we wrap it up today. Find one area of your life. It might be physical space. It might be spiritual. It might be emotional. It might be sexual. It might be relational. One area of your life that attracts clutter continuously. And bring that area under the lordship of Jesus Christ and declutter it for the glory of God. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you so much this morning for this very attentive group. And I got more clutter, Lord. I got a lot of it. And I just pray that you would help my life to be streamlined. 
so that when those moments come where families call by my bedside, it won't have to be a situation where, well, maybe I'll go and maybe I won't. No, Lord, help us to recalibrate this thing and realize what's important and be able to pour ourselves into the right things so that all that we leave behind that other people are going to pilfer through someday. May it bespeak a great legacy of faith in you, a great love for forgiveness and your grace, a great commitment to truth and values, and a willingness to be viewed as weird in a world that maybe didn't appreciate or see things maybe the way that uh, he or she saw them. I pray this morning now that the word has been preached and the congregation in their hearts and spirits are saying amen. I pray this morning that um, you would just raise that challenge area this morning. Uh, that, that place that attracts so much clutter. Oh, for me, it may be a drawer, maybe a table, but the table of our life that attracts the clutter. Lord, you know what that is. It might be physical things and external. It might be internal and spiritual and emotional stuff that attracts so much clutter. Lord, I pray that we be a sober mind. Lord, declutter us this morning. And that may it start here and now. That we might live for your honor and your glory all the days of our life. We ask these things in your name. Couple things. I don't know if you knew this or not, but uh, Kenis Owens had brain surgery a couple weeks ago. He is rehabbing. Last word I had in Lutheran in, in Fort Wayne. Pray for him, and uh, God continue to bless him. I don't know if you know this or not, but we have Ka- uh, Cam and Abigail who had a, a new baby born, and it's the first Sunday I believe for your baby, and there were, it wasn't without some challenges and some complications to clutter things. But by God's grace, I just talked to your. Uh, father and he said God got you through it Cam praise God he got you through it and uh, he'll continue to get you through it and just bless you guys so we congratulate you for sure uh, we've had some other births recently you'll hear more about them I think Becca had her baby and some others so God is so good you're going to probably see pictures and things later so let's stand together uh, God bless you have a great day and we'll be clearing some more clutter next week you're dismissed